0: Company Watch Financial Analytics.
1: Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick.
0: Hi, Joe.
1: We are recording today's episode in the late afternoon of Friday, the 27th of November. Um, This week's news has obviously been dominated by Wednesday's spending review and the confirmation of which tiers English regions will be in from the 3rd of December. Um, So we're going to spend most of today's episode looking at those those things. We've also just got a couple of bits of breaking news, which is the Arcadia... um, Almost certain to go into administration on Monday, and also something I picked up earlier in the week, which is the wrongful trading provisions that we've talked about in the past. There's a bit of an update on those, so we'll probably go for those two things first, Nick. What do you think? And then and then come back to the the meat.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: As it were. Okay. So the let's quickly. I'm going to clear off my one at the moment. So the wrongful trading provisions, which we've talked about quite a few times in the past, originally ran up to the end of September. This year, then they were that That was the only thing that of the temporary restrictions on winding up petitions, land law enforcement, um, that wasn't extended until the end of December. But there was a statutory instrument, um, which came into force from 26th November, so from yesterday, and um, that now revives this temporary suspension of liability for wrongful trading, um, until the 30th of April 2021. So I think, obviously, interesting in itself that that's been been done and we were talking a bit earlier about why that might have been I think that yep. maybe kind of tied into things we're talking about later in terms of the, the tiers and the sectors that are affected. Um but I think it maybe gives a bit of a signal about what might happen at the 31st of December um cliff edge and, and perhaps the, the extension of those those other provisions to um yes creditors. So I
0: predators. think that's right, Joe. And and um, as I was telling you before we started um uh, and maybe it's worth we put a note out um, on this. But I was just reminding, Joe, that um, wrongful trading is only one of the um, of, of, of the bear traps that, mm. d- that directors face. And what a lot of people will probably be unaware of is that the 2020 Finance Act included some granted um, HMRC some truly draconian powers to... Um, attack directors of companies that are unable to pay their, um, their crown debt, their, their tax uh, liabilities, and uh, to seek to recover the money direct from the directors
1: so at the end of so that kind of normally you have the limited liability that's the
0: point of companies that's, that's but actually right. there
1: are circumstances in which directors can be held personally absolutely
0: and reliable. and no amount of pushing the um wrongful trading provisions down the road will will help directors in those circumstances mm. and it's particularly applicable to uh, to to repeat insolvencies um where a comp- where where the directors are In a a second insolvency. So it's something to be, uh, you know, be aware of, because if if at some point in in 2021, the company goes down, um, uh, owing a lot of crown debt, then um, if there's been a previous failure, the uh, HMRC are entitled to look back. And then take take action. Anyway, I think maybe we might do a detailed note about that. Yeah, maybe a, that's
1: that's interesting. I mean, the thing that struck me was was the the fact that furlough. You know, we've we've obviously got these sectors that are going to be particularly affected by um, restrictions not being lifted. Um, furlough is is obviously designed to help support the the job yeah. side of that, yeah. but the furlough scheme requires employers to still pay the national insurance contribution and pension um, contribution. So clearly, there is, there's there's an ongoing liability that's going to be building up for. Um, mm-hmm. for employers so again I mean I just I haven't seen that that connection being made anywhere else but you know as we were talking it kind of I wondered whether that there might be some some connection um
0: there that's right Let's and, and, and the- interestingly oh. Joe, yep. um on, on that subject of you know pushing the can down the road uh the the uh my friends in the insolvency world tell me that uh whilst they're not yet busy they are getting busier mm. so there obviously is a, is a certain element of battle fatigue going on out there and for all the reasons why it's so hard to go bust at the moment uh more more companies are looking at whether they should continue yeah
1: in their own time i suppose in their own time. lots of people prefer to to be able to be in control of that decision rather yeah, than it being Absolutely, absolutely right um but that that brings us to the the next um story so Arcadia group yes. green's um Empire, can we still call it that? I'm not
0: sure. Well, they Um, are calling it the Empire. I mean, I have to declare um, an interest here in the sense that I have been campaigning about um, Sir Philip Green's business practices for six years now. Mm. I don't think I would ever be on any Christmas card list he would (laughs) ever come up with, and I was probably partially um, responsible for the media campaign in the Sunday Times that brought down BHS, oh, yes, mm-hmm. very heavily involved in 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 that, um, which is another story for another day. But it, it it's a desperate situation for Arcadia um, because so they're already in
1: CVA. Let's not forget they're already
0: in, in a... Oh, oh look, I mean, I mean this no, I mean, this has been a commercial and financial zombie mm. for years, and it all goes way back to when um, Sir Philip Green took control of this company and did as he has, he has had a habit of doing over the years, There are, he has got previous, ripped out the cash and, and took 1.2 billion mm. pounds to Monaco. And yeah. let's ignore all the uh, offshore aspects of that. What it did was to leave um, uh, Topshop and, and the Arcadian brands uh, desperately short of cash. I did an analysis back at the time of BHS about the level of investment that was going on inside Arcadia and BHS. Um, Because in retail, whether you like it or not, you have to keep spending money because you have to refresh the stores, you have to change the format, you have to, have to, have to. And, you know, the average spend per store by Arcadia and BHS in the run-up to BHS's failure was pitiful. Mm. So what you've got is, um, and we can all see
1: that in the stores. You know, if us remember going to the stores, you you could tell um, that barely anything was being
0: spent on. But the devastating thing about this is, you know, this has been an accident waiting to happen. But that won't help the thirteen thousand employees. It won't help the nine and a half thousand pensioners with a fund that is heavily in deficit. Uh, So. It could be that if Philip Green wants to hang on to his knighthood, he may have to dip his hand in his pocket again like he did when BHS fell over.
1: Okay.
0: Um, and the the last point about uh, this is that the total square footage of the Arcadia Empire is just shy of five million square feet. And oh. and And what once upon a time were flagship stores like the one at Oxford Circus and in places like the cardiff city center and elsewhere are no longer desirable mm-hmm. so i don't quite know what the landlord's going to do with uh, uh, those quite a few of the properties are are actually held um within philip greens overall financial empire um so it, it's not just the landlord's um, it'll it'll be his personal property holdings that'll be affected but it's um, it, it, it's desperate but it's uh, and, but don't let anybody kid anybody that this is anything to do with COVID because it's not. No. COVID has simply been the final straw on, mm. on the broken back of the camel.
1: And the, the other thing you pointed out, um, which you know I th- I'm sure most of our listeners will realise, but I hadn't really put two and two together, is of course the timing of this. Oh, you don't it, you don't see retail failures this close to Christmas, you know this side no, of no. Christmas, do you? I mean, no. I mean,
0: it's absolutely extraordinary. I mean, retailers either go bust in the in the sort of late spring, um, early summer when they can't uh, they don't have enough credit uh, uh, credibility, if you like, mm-hmm. to be able to source products for the Christmas rush, yeah. or they go bust in the killing fields of February and March when. Uh, The stakeholders like the uh, trade insurers, the suppliers, the banks have watched them turn their inventory into cash. So they are as cash rich as they ever are. They're as inventory light as they ever are. That's when they go down. So for Mm. this to fall over a month before Christmas, is utterly extraordinary
1: mm. i mean you've got to wonder you know with the with the tier it kind of ties back into the the tier announcements so you know christmas parties i don't think any of us really ever thought the christmas parties were on the list but you know that that's kind of clearly off the um the agenda for this year so any of that that kind of clothes shopping that might have just held up for the the christmas party season you know is not has gone, it's gone has He's gone, gone. He's gone. Um, He's I think gone. that's maybe the straw, but I think you're right underlying um this is not a COVID issue, which is just the no. you know the last the last straw as it were. Okay, so shall we um let's go back to the um Wednesday spending review. We had um Chancellor in the Commons um giving details of the hmm. um the spending remember this is a one year rather than we would normally expect a three year because of the circumstances. Um and also it's the first time that we've had official forecasts go along Side yep. this from the Office of Budget Responsibility. Um I spent my time kind of looking through the OBR um reports. I think you've you've done a more of a mixture of both, haven't you? Um, well
0: I, I must confess, I you know, to be honest with you, um it, it was a bit of an odd event from the spending review point of view because it had all been trailed beforehand. Yeah, yeah. Now, we knew we knew what was coming, uh, we knew who the winners were going to be. And in fact, we talked about it on Monday before he, mm. he even stood um, stood up. And the the winners uh, you know, so we know the losers well. You know, predict predictably any you know any department apart from the winners, yeah. and <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, so agriculture not great, and the environment and and uh, cultural media and sport and all these things are going to have a rough old twenty one twenty two and no doubt um, beyond. beyond. But mm. but really, this was not a spending review. This was a. Um, a bearing of the chest and, and a request for um approval through through flagellation mm. of um of of the situation How the company the, the country the country was in so mm. don't blame me it's to do with me but the figures are eye watering utterly utterly eye watering let's should we start with what they've spent on the pandemic yes <laughs> 280 billion pounds this year. They're going to spend 52, 53 billion next year. Um, Interestingly, the UK spending on the pandemic as a percentage of GDP is more than any other developed country except Canada. We've spent fourteen percent of GDP on the mm. pandemic. I'm not quite sure what we've got back for it, but there we go. I mean, um, that's a
1: shocking thing, isn't it? Because if you look at the um, the developed economies, I think only Spain has fared worse than, yeah. than the UK. And on average, I think we're about twice. We've, we've we're kind of looking at. I think they're talking about an eleven point three percent GDP dip for the end of the year, and most most other countries are around kind of four or five percent. Yeah,
0: um, yeah, and, and 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 it's you know it's very interesting that we've got double the. Uh, double the damage, and we've spent pretty much double the average of the of the developed countries spending on the pandemic is eight percent of GDP. We've spent fourteen percent, mm. and what have we got for it in economic terms? We've got a, a bigger hit to the economy mm. than than any of the other major. Uh, in, um, global economies. So it's a very interesting... And thing. I think
1: those are, those are the kind of things that will come out in the eventual inquiry, won't they? I think those are the I, things that will I, I, no doubt I, be looked...
0: I assume so. Um, there's all this talk about uh, you know, the, the the borrowings, 394 billion, was mm. it? The, yeah. the figure. The yeah. uh, public borrowing in 2021 will be 19% of GDP, GDP. according mm-hmm. to the the uh, OBR's central forecast, and we might come back to exactly what oh, that's yes. all about. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes it the highest percentage of GDP since 1958 fifty nine. Yeah. The national debt, as a percentage of uh, GDP, is going to be by the end of this year the highest since 1945. Mm. So the numbers are eye
1: watering. Yeah. Absolutely
0: eye-watering, although I do come back to what I said when we recorded on Monday, which is to ask um, a series of simple interlocking questions. Is it actually a problem? Because with very low interest rates and and an enormous appetite for government bonds, Mm. for all the reasons we talked about in the episode on Monday, question mark, is it a problem? If it is a problem, is it a problem now? Mm-hmm. And if it's not a problem now, when is when? it a problem?
1: And I and think that's interesting, isn't it? Because we haven't had any, you know, there were quite a lot of, um, Rishi research did the media around something here on Thursday and there were questions about how are we going to pay for this? And actually the time is not now to,
0: yeah. to ask that. And, and, I mean, and clearly I've, there's going to be a, a big bill and i think that's absolutely right because to to begin re, trying to repay this until the economy is back in any sort of shape at all mm. and there we come back to another aspect of this you know uh, of this forecast 11.3% down this year and you know the uh, the the bank of england and the obr and, the, and and the institute of fiscal studies paul johnson there are bickering about when we might get back to pre pandemic levels but it ain't anytime soon no so we've
1: got obr saying q4 2022 bank of england i think is q1 2022
0: um
1: so and i I can't remember the um we had the imf i I think is similar i think imf is somewhere in the middle as far as i that's that's right i remember so Um, so
0: um what we're talking about is it's going to be a very long time before the conditions would be right to begin to repay this So the question is Does the government have the patience? Because what you've got to remember is that there's a general election coming in 2024. So if they do delay it, we're into political speculation here. Mm. If they do delay it because the economy isn't recovering, then they might be starting to do some very unpleasant things to tax rates in the run up to an election. So watch that space. We've got years to see that that. That mm, cauldron okay. bubble Play and out. hubble and bubble on on that one. And um, what also caught my eye, as I suppose everybody else, uh, were the uh, OBR's figures about uh, employment. Uh, you know, seeing the unemployment peaking at seven point five percent next year, two point six million people. Mm. And if you what if you look at the OBR extrapolation through, um, you don't. It, it, by the end of 2025 we are still not back to pre pandemic uh, em- employment levels mm. and yes. we are s- significantly above through 20 2021 21 22 22 23 and we're mm. sort of drifting back to the w- level we were at in september q3 um by the end of 2025 but we're not back back there yet again
1: and it's interesting the the other thing on um in unemployment is there is a, there's a bit of a debate going on about whether the the rate is actually, the rate that's being reported, which is 4.9%, I think, is the current um, yeah. level, um, that's using um, a kind of a, a statistical method that's looking at people who are s- actively seeking employment. But it, if you look at the real-time information um, information, so that's the uh, payroll data, basically, yeah. um, the OBR says that that RTI information, real-time information, suggests that the current rate is closer to six percent um and the difference is because people have to be actively seeking employment and of course you know the people that have lost their jobs then there aren't those same jobs yeah. again to be looking for so although in you know tech sectors and, and various other sectors employment you know we know from our experience anecdotally there is quite a lot of um there's quite a lot of activity there actually for the for the people that have, have really lost their, their jobs um they're not going to be caught by those statistics, and of course, caring responsibilities and various other things. And there was quite an interesting yep, yep. talk by one of the Bank of England agents that I listened to um, earlier in the week, making this point about um, that kind of hidden side of yep. um,
0: of unemployment. Yes, and, and funny just just of course, you know, the problem with those un- unemployment figures is the lack of consumer spending power, and uh, you know, which which yeah. you know, and, until this all happened was the engine that drove the economy, Mm. you know, consumers, all all those instructions uh, I remember from various um, prime ministers and chancellors uh, in recent years saying, you know, the consumers need to get out there and spend, borrow money and spend. Well, it's very difficult. You've got 2.6 million unemployed. And of course, um, something else worth mentioning, something that he didn't say, Rishi Sunak, he completely ignored the issue about universal credit and the cut Coming yep. up in in, in April next year, mm. when it's going to make every recipient of the um, uh, of of the benefit uh, up to a thousand pounds worse off mm. a year, um, and just a very simple calculation, um, there are six million people on uh, universal credit, which implies um, that if that cut happens, it it takes it transfers i think the figure that's been quoted is 7 billion pounds from consumer spending power and it dumps it into the black hole of public mm. finances and of course that's based on current universal credit figures and, and we we know got that a, we've got we've got be according higher. to the official figures we've got another million to go on in mm. unemployment between now and uh, and q1 or q2 next year yeah. they're all going to be on universal credit as well those that those that qualify so it just goes on and on and on. And that is
1: always a conundrum, isn't it, with government? Is that, you know, they're picking up both sides. So, you know, trying to yeah. you know, keep businesses afloat and, um, you know, with a yeah. furlough scheme. But, you know, if they don't, then they've got to pick it up on the on the other side and that balance. And I suppose, you know, it's, it's difficult to, to imagine that how you scenario test for these things because we're in such, you know, uncharted... Oh, I know. I mean, I don't, I don't um,
0: envy the Treasury um, uh, trying to manage this thing. I mean, it it... it, it it must be the most appalling nightmare because all all their, I mean, you know, the goalposts must be whizzing up yeah. and down the um, uh, the goal line so fast they can't see the blooming things. Yeah. Um, but but it is um, it is worrying. And of course, it's interesting that uh, the IFS, the Institute of Fiscal Studies, you know, dear old Paul Johnson, was straight out after the uh, review within a couple of hours, saying, "I don't believe the borrowing figures; they will be higher." And he, you know, he, he bases that on uh, the fact that the forecast says there'll be no, no measurable uh, COVID costs after the end of 2021. And I don't think anybody believes I mean, that.
1: That seems,
0: um, that seems Highly, un- highly unlikely. Mm. Um, and there's very little um, allowance in the forecast for, not, I'm not talking about infrastructure uh, spending here, but investment in public services. You know, like the NHS, mm-hmm. like the police, like 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 all the things the government does for us. Yeah. What education, all uh,
1: the kind of teaching. I mean, there's going to be. Oh yeah, I mean education, the whole yeah. thing.
0: Um, and and the other thing that Paul Johnson said, and and I think it's a very fair bet is that uh, the political um, pressure to reverse that universal credit cut may become impossible uh, to uh, withstand. And yeah. um, I noticed this this was it this morning, or was it yesterday? Um, a certain Marcus Rashford is now campaigning directly to senior government figures uh, and saying, you, you know, you simply can't do this. Yeah. And we all know what happens when the government tries to say no to Marcus Rashford.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think my my understanding was that there was a there's kind of a battle, like number ten, number eleven on universal um, universal credit. And you just think, if it's inevitable, why not? It's a little bit like the furlough scheme. Um, you know, the resisting pressure. No, we're not going to extend it. And then, of course. Inevitably, you, you do have to extend it, and you just think for the sake of clarity, um, would it be better to to do this yeah. earlier rather than later? Okay, the one thing I wanted, to, well, two things I think left to pick up on in particular. Um, one is business investment. Now we've been talking about this for um, for some time. So again, I pick up from the OBR reports, which again we we knew this figure before. Um, business investment fell twenty seven percent in the second quarter. It recovered slightly in the third quarter, but it's still more than twenty percent down on pre. COVID levels. Um, and they expect it to fall again in the fourth quarter. And now this is interesting. It's both second wave and Brexit, which is the next thing I'm going to come on to yep. um, in a second. Um, but, but worryingly, they say that the um, although it recovers steadily as the economy normalises, um, it regains its pre-virus peak only by mid-2023. Um, and that's later than the GDP recovery expecting. And, and let's not forget that business investment anyway was down because of the brexit only since 2016 i think we've we've been seeing there's been uncertainty around mm. um and business investment is the thing that is going to trigger growth yeah. isn't it i mean you need to invest to to grow so that that to me sounded um a kind of worrying um a worrying sign and then on brexit finally <laughs> finally some there's some official forecasts on you know what might happen um as regard to brexit i mean it's not not that pretty um to be honest i think that this is significant um downside another 2% on the central scenario if there is a um a no a no deal and you know they they talk it's quite interesting it's an annex i think it's annex b of the obr uh, the obr report is is inter- dense i mean i can't say that i've read every single word of it but it certainly it's there's some certainly interesting parts to it um and there i think there is some analysis about how the different free, free trade agreements with different countries might Impact but essentially, and um, the OBR is saying really, we need a free trade agreement with Europe, it's the nearest and largest trading <laughs> yeah. partner.
0: Well, um, there's there's <coughs> a surprise. Yeah, because I mean, the OBRs now you know finally come out and nailed its colours to the mast, and who knows, the Bank of England might even follow it one day, um, and and said that if there's a no deal exit, it it will add two hundred and fifty thousand to the unemployment next year. Mm. It'll increase consumer prices by one percent. It'll increase government borrowing by ten billion. Another, what's another ten? Another ten billion. billion. Ha. Mm. Um, and it'll deliver your two percent hit to GDP, and that's over and above what's already baked into these forecasts for and for a an FTA based exit yeah. from the EU. So this is the this is on top of uh, on top of that. So
1: we'll see. I mean, again, I, we give. Up, I give up for talking. We've got more crunch talks this week. Um, we'll see how that um, how that pans out. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to pick up? I feel like no. we've we're kind of reaching our listeners' patience. I'm sure with, <laughs> we're getting to the end of quite a, quite a long um, run through of that. But I, I hope that was that was useful for everybody. I mean, drawing this conclusion together, it, it seems to me I was trying to put these thoughts together, and maybe I'm not sure whether I've quite managed to. I have a coherent thought on this but you look back to the summer and you think that there was quite a, a lot of um trade off there was more there was more of a sense of of a trade off between health and economy and a kind of real yeah. desire to keep things open as far as possible i think the message that's coming out now is basically yes great news about the vaccine with that spring and we've got the winter yeah. Hibernation tiers, the kind of highly restrictive tier system that most of the country is um is in is really here to um to stay and you know you listen to anybody who says, well, you know, we might be able to review these and go down. Yeah. I don't know it's happening anytime soon. It's really. not it's
0: it's locked down till April by another name.
1: Yeah. And so that is gonna be really um concerning. The hospitality industry has come out just this afternoon saying 80 you percent know, of of businesses um in that sector are going to struggle to see a survival um and so i think that that we really are um we really are in kind of lockdown by another name and i think you know, there are businesses that are struggling on and and trying to make the best of situations but it's not going to be anything like um business as usual until until at least the spring
0: yeah there's a cheery cheery thought to it. yeah
1: sorry sorry that's my (laughs) um that's my thought but thank you very much everybody for listening if there's any questions or queries you know just do do let us know we're very happy to to take ideas for um topics to cover but i think that was a clear the clear winner for this week is spending review and and obr there's lots to um lots of weekend reading nick thank you very very much indeed
0: pleasure Joan.
1: thanks everybody for listening until next time goodbye